Coffee's ready. Guest is ready. Let's get started. Hello and welcome back to the Prodigy Podcast. We're on episode 44 with professional MMA fighter, IMF fighter, purple belt jiu-jitsu competitor and all-around dog lover as well as we're joined by one of Melissa's dogs, Melissa Mullins. Hi, how are you? Good afternoon, as it hits six minutes past twelve. I listed a load of things there, but uh, as we're starting with kind of this new format of the podcast, we want, you picked out a few moments in your lives that, in your lives, life, unless you're that way inclined and you believe mm-hmm. that you have multiple lives, and then that would be a very long list. Um, moments in your life so far that have had a real impact on you, that helped shape you, um, and I'm sure we'll go on many tangents and uh go down many rabbit holes but I thought I'd start with uh, I'd start with one that you reference as winning but people might think and you talk about this like winning as ah, it's a it's an egotistical thing but it's not for you can you can you explain why um why it's winning and what the importance and value of it for you is um yeah so in a set, in a in a sense of winning, and how I mentioned it was, you can win in many elements of your life. Um, let's just say, as I mentioned, in the competitive edge, um, I use winning as a sort of boost of empowerment, a boost of like confirmation, or a boost of sort of replacing the emptiness of feeling what I might have missed in a, a a fight that I've previously had. So a lot of my fights are or tend to be quite uh, stand-up or short-lived. Um, so I uh, random jiu-jitsu competitions, although my, my major practice isn't specifically jiu-jitsu, I enter those competitions to win. Um, and therefore, it sort of replaces that... That, that feeling of being or feeling lost or not very good in that specific area. Um, and it's like, for example, IMAF, I come away on a split decision at one of my fights. Um, this could have been because I felt that I was quite lacking maybe it was um mm-hmm. on my sort of wrestling groundwork so therefore i chose to enter a jiu-jitsu competition because at the imax wrestling and jiu-jitsu and ground game is kind of predominant and i just wanted to make sure i was confident in that so i went to a jiu-jitsu competition i won it um and that sort of enabled me to have that that confidence and that feeling that the next fight i'm going to approach i've got that game still within me and it's it's a game to be aware of um, so it's just building that, those little building stepping stones in order for my mind to work 100% when I'm in the cage. Yeah, you use this uh, this term and I thought it was a quite quite good way of encapsulating what you just said, rect- rectifying self-doubt. Yes. Um, and do you think, I mean, everyone gets self-doubt, but how, how, I mean, you've kind of delved into why it's impacted you, but... Is it is it something that you feel like you come away with you've come away with in every fight you've had so far? That that I mean everyone looks for holes and things they can improve. But I think that the use of the description of self doubt suggests that you you're kind of 
not just harsh on yourself, but you want to make sure that you're, you're conscious enough that you don't want to doubt your, uh, you don't want that self doubt to be there. You're kind of aware of it. You know how it can manifest. Yeah. Um, well, I think as you grow in this career specifically, um, you go from fighting people that are at your level to someone that m- might be better than you, let's say on paper, uh, or generally physically better than you. Um, so the self-doubt will always be there because you're never going to fight someone crapper than you, if that makes sense. Well, you shouldn't be anyway, at least. Yeah. That's how I see a career building, a significant career building uh, characteristic is to fight people that are always better than you, if it be on paper or if it be physically. Um, When coming out of competitions, um, I guess the self-doubt is there. And how I mentioned just a moment ago is when fighting, um, you, you you always want to leave it all in the cage, as they say, but you never you never do. You always come out of the cage either wishing you did something a little bit better, um, rewatching the fight, thinking what the hell was that? Like you always want to rectify something that didn't go quite to plan, or maybe it 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 just wasn't panning out how you planned it to be, or you just look shit because your opponents made you look like that. Um, And the question is for yourself is like, why did that happen? And how do I make that better? And then going into your next fight, have you made that better? And is that person going to challenge you in that area also? Because the the footage is there to rewatch. So therefore, if it's a newer and recent fight, it's something that still might be within your um, sort of body that you're making mistakes on and they're going to cultivate on that and sort of, use that as your weakness um so yeah that's what i mean by i want to rectify self-doubt um so i don't think that they've got that advantage on me and and is that something that when it comes up towards and we'll talk about your your upcoming fight soon but um is that something that you're conscious of doing making sure that there isn't anything there i mean i people people talk about uh their mentality before um each competition, each fight, whatever their particular um, sport is, but how how do you treat it for yourself personally when in the in the lead up in the preparation? Um, for me personally, I don't know if training ever stays the same. Um, I don't particularly have a plan going into every session. Um, however. If I feel that there was something that I do need to work on, I might slightly put a bit more intent on those sessions. Uh, Let's just say, for me at the moment, I really want to work my cardio. Um, This is because going into this fight is going to be my first three-minute round, five-minute round fight. A five-minute three, three, oh, wow, you you know what I'm trying to say. (laughs) My first three rounds of five-minute fights that potentially could last the entirety of the entire fight. Um, so I'm stepping more so into this fight with an uppace on cardio, um, uh, a more regimed idea towards fitness and strength, um, as I feel that my other sort of areas are quite well-rounded as long as I can put them together correctly on the day. Yeah. And, and, and so, and in doing that, 
then when when it comes to that time where that all those quiet periods just before the fight that's kind of if if anything creeps into your mind have i worked on this well you know that you've you've kind of uh pursued uh or or put more emphasis on things that you know you might have a slighter weakness on on fights and it kind of eradicates that for you yeah i definitely like to think i that would be the case but i mean if at that point let's just say 10 days out and i've got all of these thoughts of such things it's too late at that point i figure like you can you can't learn two. things to two weeks out you can't learn learn new things three weeks out that are going to be ingrained in your brain so at that point you work with your 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 toolbox you know um and i just hope i bought enough tools in order to give her a little bit of a seeing to <laughs> <laughs> that's the best way i think i think uh you should continue saying that that you're gonna just give people a seeing to when you <laughs> fight them it's a great way of putting it i haven't heard that before um you referenced imath before um you competed imath euros uh in 2019 how because i've had guests on before that have competed in imath and i think it's personally i think it's a it's a fantastic way of helping younger athletes develop and kind of especially in the amateur scene that can be dependent on you know where you are in the world it can be a bit cowboy like wild westy dependent on where you train or where you compete what are your views on kind of imaf what was your experience like and and how how important do you see it as a way of helping MMA develop and especially amateur MMA develop? Um, female MMA, I think it's more so important um, than any other aspect. And not just because I'm female, just because you're seeing probably currently or hearing um, females in the heavier brackets are struggling to get fights. Uh, like myself, before I actually got my debut, I was seven fights um, turned down in some way or form. Um, and Lexi Rook's going through the same sort of process. Um, and then obviously you've got some of the, the, the bigger fighters, such as Stephanie Page Evans, who's so said to go pro soon. Um, Katie Back, whatever her name is. The, the, the oh, Basic, yeah. I can't ever say her name. Um, <laughs> apparently she's struggling to get matched up. Um, but the the imap experience doesn't really allow for that to for people to say no to each other um it's kind of you go there if you don't make weight then you don't fight but essentially you turn up to fight um and on that week of the 2019 show in july i think it was july uh anyway the europeans i uh, i managed to have four fights on four in in, in four, over a four day period um and that's something unseen unheard of um generally in your amateur career and that's the only place that that can really happen uh so for female mma i think it's a really great building block in order to build confidence um and your record uh i think the negative of it is obviously it's a lot of fights in a short period of time so let's just say there was a really big like missing piece of your your game on fight one you're kind of done for for day two, day three, day four. That's if you get that far. Um, like you've got no time to work on that. Uh, so in that sense, it's bad. Um, the experience itself, 
the 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 EMA EMMA team, the English Martial Arts Federation team that I went out with uh, were awesome. James Doyle and Joanne Doyle, um, and Mark Spencer and Maria Spencer. They 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 were generally awesome. Um, they were a, a big part of as to I guess why I enjoyed the experience so much. Um, I would say Worlds. Worlds was definitely more of a more enlightening experience in terms of how MMA might feel in the future compared to Rome because Rome was a little bit more dusky camp vibe sort of um, situation. Uh, but yeah, overall, I do suggest it. Um, I think the level's great. I mean, Mokaev was one of the best out there and now he's making a second or yeah, second appearance yeah, in second. the UFC uh, in July. So it, it generally speaks for the calibre of people that can and have gone through the IMAF uh, rankings, and I hope to just be another one of those people, you know? It's it's interesting that you, you talk about the fact that you can't turn down a fight. I've never, I've never really uh, framed, thought of thra- framing it in that way, but especially, I mean... It must it must be frustrating now thinking about that time where you you essentially got four fights without even concerning about concerning yourself with will someone take it or won't. Um, is that you? Is that do you think that's going to get better in the short term, or do you think this is kind of a longer term problem that needs to be addressed, or that it will just take more fighters, you know, the the divisions to fill up even more than they are now. Yeah. Um, so again, I think I'm referencing to female MMA. Um, being yeah, since I was 2016, um, it's a hard one. Um, personally, I think there should be, especially at maybe amateur, um, a sort of free strike sort of rule. Like if you say no three times to a fighter, then that person should be like recorded like a, a pedophile almost um like that person isn't effectively trustworthy um or let's just say a person doesn't make weight that again can stop you having your fight um so that person should be recorded and maybe people made aware of um i don't know how you overcome the situation of people saying yes to a fight and no to a fight, potentially paying to fight, if that makes sense. I mean, you pay to go mm-hmm. to the IMAF, you pay like four, three hundred and sixty pound, I think it is, to actually enter the IMAF tournament. Um, so potentially paying as a deposit to fight and then getting your money back plus your purse if it's professional to um, when you turn up and when you show up. I mean let's just say my opponent, if I chose not to fight her in this occasion, uh, I'm not sure of what's happened so far with her flights, but she's coming over from, I think, Portugal or Bulgaria. Um, and who's covering that expense if that doesn't happen? Um, and then if that was the case, it might make promoters wary to not buy international people flights over here. So potentially making athletes pay to fight, um, is one thing but then obviously them getting their money back um other than that i don't really particularly know um 
I think it's just a waiting game to see what females come through and what pathways they manage to cycle through in order to come up to these sort of elite levels. But yeah, it's hard. I mean, me and Lexi were at sort of a very similar level. Um, and now I'm going to potentially 3-0 and and she's still 0-0 as pro. So does her, her and her team see me at the point of our next fight, my next fight, should I say, which would be 4-0, and let's just say, and her debut, a fight that she's willing to take, you know? Like, mm-hmm. that's just a night, like a thought. Um, so I, I, I particularly, I, I don't know, it may be just a waiting game and a, a long man's game to see where this sort of develops to. Um, but yeah, hopefully it eradicates and it stops happening because it's not very nice waiting for a fight. Yeah, I think, I think, you know, we talk about, there's a, there's a lot of, I guess, sympathy for people who, you know, when they have injuries just before their fight and they've got to pull out and, you know, you can kind of, uh, you can at least imagine what it, it is to have to pull out of a fight for an injury. But then similarly, if people, you know, if you've in the midst of a preparation for a fight and then someone pulls out uh, equally, I'm sure that's as frustrating and as tough, especially as you, you know, you and yourself, you feel healthy, you're ready. And there's no kind of, you can't really have any control over that, I guess. It's hard. I mean, at school, you have to have a medical note, don't you, to, essentially have a day off or at work in order to be paid you need to have some kind of proof that you are ill um i like that medical note maybe we should that you should in uh school rules for <laughs> right you need a you, you can't have a letter from your mum or dad it has to be from your uh from your doctor yeah oh, like it might actually prevent people from saying oh i broke my toe if you go to the, if you broke your toe, you're gonna go and try and get it fixed. Therefore, you'll have some kind of. I went to the hospital. Okay, I can believe you now, but sometimes you don't get that sort of closure or clarification. It's just they're injured. Oh. Yeah, and I can imagine how frustrating that would be. Um, well, let's let's move on to the next uh point you picked out, um, which was university and going to uni. You kind of described how, you know, at the t- uh, your circumstances at the time and then the impact of going through that uh, the process of joining and then discovering a bit more about actually who you were at the time. Um, if, let's start with kind of, uh, you know, where you were before and why you decided to, to go through that particular journey. Okay. Um, so I think I was... 18, 19, I was 19 when I decided to go to university um, and at the time I was living independently um, in a flat in Oxford. Um, my dad prior to this had been sectioned for mental health um, which left me and my younger brother um, to sort of prior to that look after him and we were 15 and 16 at the time. Um, then social services got involved and um, we ended up living with my sister who is my half sister um, but she's basically full blood I've known her since I was very 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 young born um, and being I guess the rebellious teenager of 
who's just looked after her dad for an entire year. Mm-hmm. The scenario of living with my sister didn't really work out, um, and social services fought to um, put me into what's called a halfway house for, like, I guess, druggies, prison release youths, and so on. Um, and in that, I actually did very well. Like, I didn't get involved in drugs. I actually made a lot of friends that looked to protect me almost because I was like the baby of the group. Um, and then from there, I moved into an independent flat. Um, I was given a grant and the grant covered a fridge freezer, a microwave and a pop-up wardrobe and a mattress. Um, yes. So I lived on income support at the time, um, because now it's universal credit. Um, and I paid 12 pound rent, my bills, and then the rest was for food. So quite often my fridge had Lucozades, ham and cucumber in, um, And I lived next to a guy who was also mentally unstable and I worked part-time in a club called uh, Wahoo. So at that point, independent living seemed great until it wasn't great anymore. Um, University or driving, all these typical things that lots of people were doing weren't something that I really wanted to do. But at the time, I was like, why do they do it? maybe it's something that I should do. So I applied for university via UCAS um, and I got in. Um, I had to do some kind of test because I wasn't the the cleverest or maybe most uh, pen to paper student. Um, I wasn't naughty, I just wasn't book smart, I guess. Um, But anyway, I I did these tests, I worked hard for them. I got into university uh, and I was there for three years, uh, completing my uh, degree of a bachelor of science um with no fails so to me (laughs) um and yeah so basically i got to university and my focus wasn't the typical spend my money on uh alcohol uh drugs parties going out I, i i couldn't do that all the money that i earn or was given to me through um student loans had to go on rent had to go on food had to go on travel because i lived in london um and still i was very very budget budgeted um so i ended up getting a job in top shop so i was working i had a full-time um timetable working uh at university and then my side sort of escape was breakdancing um and i was never goaded to go and party you know it was always if I was to socialize it would be because of my hobby so I would go and break dance or go to an event that a group was hosting and so on but I was never that let's get messed up let's get drugged let's go party and I, that that wasn't my sort of persona um and in turn I guess that created who I am at this point like quite a I won't do this, but I am going to do this. It, it, and it was my pathway, not an influenced pathway. So, yeah. It's it's interesting because the idea of, if you compare, I guess, the idea of break dancing and like um, of what you were physically kind of doing in terms of you were doing a physical sport that I presume, uh, you, you know, you work together as a, as a team to improve one another, but it it was theoretically in, individual and similarly 
you're kind of in a sport now where you're it's it's goal orientated but as a team you're as a team you're trying to help improve one another yeah you're correct i mean you you train as a team you ask for advice you goad each other on during training sessions uh you travel together um but yeah essentially unless it uh like when you're doing your part you're alone out there it's your mindset it's your vibe it's what you want to do you know or how the other person responds is what you also respond to so yeah it's very very similar in that aspect and was that your first uh your first time doing uh, a sport that you felt really passionate about mm, no um i did football for from a very young age um from the age of 12 um I fell out of love with football um, due to females and politics and let's say cliques um, and that's where I found dancing um, but no I was um, quite a what you might call an elite footballer for my age um, I played for Centre of Excellences and a few academies um, and then yeah just fell out of love with it and what, uh, what do you kind of do? You still break dance, like do some stuff now? Or do you still enjoy dancing, or is it something? Is it something that because we see in jujitsu at least uh, that we've seen a few people who uh, do break dance who then kind of uh, become elite competitors in jujitsu? Um, will will we be seeing break dance? You know, as post fight celebrations, have we seen? Yeah. yeah i mean if you look at a few of my youtube fights you'll see me doing what's called a flare um which is a spin on my hands i guess you call it uh some windmills which are a spin on my back um they're like some of my my, my old power moves but no i don't practice them anymore so that's why they look a little bit floppy on the floor um i don't really have the time to 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 endeavor in such things i mean MMA takes up so much of my life. Um, I'm doing a jiu-jitsu competition, the British Open, the day after my MMA fight, and I've done one gi class in the last six months, which was the other day, and I was just sparring. Um, so, yeah, there, there, there's no time to even break dance. Um, so, no, unfortunately not. I don't get to partake in that anymore. <laughs> What what compels you to to do something like book a competition the day after uh, the day after you fighting? What what is that? Is that just the 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 kind of competitor inside you that if you see it, you're like, well, you know, I I, I can't not. Um, yeah, kind of. It's like, well, why not? Can can I do it? And if I can do it, then why not try it? If I can't do it, then I find out the day of my MMA competition if I can't do it. But right now in my head, I can do it. I want to do it and I want to win it. You know, um, I won gold as my uh, weight class at blue belt. I won gold at purple belt. I want to win gold. I'm still purple belt, but for the second year running with, I just got my championship title at 135 the day before. Like, 
Why not? Why not? I like it. Um, well, let's let's talk a little um, before we get on to um, the next uh, next significant moment that you um, picked out. Let's talk a little bit about uh, you know, the title fight. Um, this is your first, this will be your third professional MMA fight, um, if I'm correct in saying that, and yep. um, your first, your first professional uh, MMA fight. H- how does it feel to come to a point where you're fighting for a title at prof- you know, as a professional, and are there are there, there any kind of extra thoughts or feelings or um, I guess is there is is do you feel like there's a difference in in your preparation in knowing that you'll be fighting for a professional title um taking the the word title um out of sort of the equation uh, for some reason mm-hmm. that isn't something that's like my goad like it isn't the be all and end all for me um i want to fight um and i want to win uh i want to do well I want to step away from that fight going into the next one, knowing that I deserve the win from the previous one. Um, I would say the more fights I'm having, the harder it's getting in different pathways. Let's say for weight, for example, um, I'm 30, 31 this year. My body isn't what it was when I started MMA in 2016. I've had injuries. Um, my hormones are different. Uh, my body's different. Like I'm a much more athletic, more muscular, more defined person uh, in many, many different ways. If it be as an older person, as if it be a more established and mentally prepared person, but also physically and like mentally I'm just different um so I guess it's very contradictory in what I just said in some ways it's a lot easier because I'm a better athlete uh in both strength and mentality mentality and knowledge but I'm also a it's harder because I'm an older athlete I have more knowledge therefore there's more pressure in what I should know or how what I should do during certain scenarios in a fight. Um, and then there's the weight cut aspect. Um, I guess that's my hardest aspect at the moment. Um, I'm still quite heavy at this point, which is three weeks out, just over. Um, and it's going to be a big cut. Um, so how much that plays on my mindset is maybe more than I want it to be but at the end of the day I've agreed to a title I've agreed to a fight and we're making that way um but that's probably my only sort of hold back because there's so many other areas where I'm so much stronger for myself uh building up to this fight um and winning the title is just going to be a bonus you know mm-hmm. there's there's something that uh i guess you've you've just had to grow and learn especially um i mean as as all fighters get uh you know go from especially when they've been fighting from a young age uh making weight kind of changes for them uh people's bodies change over time and then i presume, you know and then as a female fighter there's uh, a whole host of 
uh, other kind of in, uh, I was going to say uh, other barriers that you need to find with ups and downs of cycles and trying to make weight as well. Yeah. Um, have you kind of when it comes to weight classes, is it something that you've kind of reflected on or uh, or re- try thought about considering whether uh, changing or uh, just trying to know you know not punish punish your body too much I guess uh yeah I mean there was a silly point of my career I guess you called it where I thought I could get down to one five well 57 kilos because I was making 61 with like a two kilo cut um which I found was quite easy um and then I walked into my professional fight and I literally had a 20 minute bath my, my debut and I made weight and then my second fight it was to date the hardest cut um in terms of the length of time mentally it was okay um but physically it was hard um just just due to its duration and this cut seems to be it's going to be very very similar um i have wanted to fight at 145 Again, going back to the first point of this entire podcast, there are very, very, very limited number of females that will fight at 145, uh, I guess, closer to their true weight. Um, If that be an excuse or a legitimate reason um, to not fight me, then... So be it. Yep, I'll leave it there. but yeah, I would love to fight at 145. It will be a, an easier cut for me. It will be much more of an enjoyable process building up to the fight because I won't be on such low calories. And I, I think the scenario is going to be forced the more I'm pushed into my career as a professional athlete. Um, unless somehow on some reason my body just goes, do you know what? You're doing enough work. We're going to keep your body weight down and you can fight at 135 um but right now it doesn't look like it's doing that it looks like it's going just up and up and up um and it doesn't want to come back down uh so yeah (laughs) a lot of people always say to me where the hell is it going to come from and even myself on this time I'm thinking the same thing I wake up and I'm like Jesus I'm 71 kilos at this present moment why do I look like I did when I was 66 kilos, you know? And it's, it's, a, it's, 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 a, it's a frustrating thing for, for all those competing, but the, the the idea that, especially with female weight classes, where there are, there are already so few um, that people aren't kind of considerate, you know, people aren't encouraging and promotion, whether they be promoters, well, I guess promoters at the end of the day, um, aren't encouraging more weight classes and for people to fight close to their natural weight, which like you say, there are sure that I'm sure there are plenty of girls who walk around at similar weights to you who are probably having to do as severe cuts, whether, whether they're kind of easy or, or not. I agree there. I mean, like, Shauna Bannon, as much as she did make weight at 52, um, it was, what I would assume, a big cut. Like, she's fought at 61 previously. um, But then saying that, 
she naturally made 61 at IMAF for an entire week. So 57 is her natural weight class um, for a water cut, let's say. But 52 is a big cut. Um, Lexi Rook so said walks between 69 and 72. Uh, but she wants to fight at 61. Um, Stephanie Page Evans walks maybe at 80 kilo. Um, and she's uh, so said rumoured to fi- uh, want to fight me at 65 kilos, which I'm very excited for if that's the case. Um, but I don't have high hopes. Not yet. Um, and yeah, then there's other people that I've I've asked to fight. But I just don't know if now I'm going to be able to fight them in the future because I don't know if I'm going to be able to make 61. So it would be nice to know that if a person couldn't naturally make 61 kilos like without the water cut and they were forced to go to the weight class above would that initiate sort of a bigger pool of females at higher weight classes yeah you definitely would hope so at least that that we did that that would encourage other people to kind of move up weight classes and we're starting to see it in different divisions in different uh sorry associations different organizations um, especially people who have particular rules in place around cutting weight and how much you can cut to how much you should be uh, rehydrating uh, and what weight you should be ending up or two on the next day. Yeah. To to go into the, the, one of the next moments that you picked out um, was marriage. Just a wonderful thing. And uh, married to another professional MMA fighter in James Dixon. Talk to me a little about uh, why it's important. It it kind of speaks to, I think, some of the rest of your points, which is have you know having a going from being very self reliant to knowing that you are part of a unit and part of a team. Um, how how valuable is that to you? Um, yeah. So from the age of twelve. Um... I've had many life scenarios which have, in a sense, I guess you could call them big situations, but for me they've just happened and happened and therefore they've just been things that have happened. Um, I.e. my mum died when I was 12, uh, my dad got mentally ill in 2015, I think it was. Um, I was forced to be independent from a very young age. Um I went to university completely independently. My dad died very recently. Um, like let, Let's just say all those scenarios would almost bring a person to a point of, like, fuck, my life is fucked up. Um, the, on, the onset of what that might cause for the average Joe, let's just say, could be quite consequential. Um, but for me, it's just... As I, as I as I as I said in those points, like it's just caused me to be quite independent, quite like selfish, I guess. And meeting James, and then marrying James, has sort of brought a different element that I never knew that existed. I mean, I didn't want. I, I'm I'm very tomboy. I always have been. I never knew I was going to get married. I wasn't the typical girl that planned her wedding knew what she wanted in life with her family and kids i'm 31 nearly and i don't have any kids so i think that kind of spreads the picture as to kind of the little girl that i was um 
but having James sort of on board on my team in my life has opened up sort of this vast tray of like I've got my my new family who I get to see quite regularly. I've still I still see my family as in the Mullins family. We're a very small like capsule of humans, but like they're my family and they're the ones that I I do love and care for. But James's family like they they love me, you know, they care for me and I I I love that I've been almost sort of welded to the Dixons through sort of this this bond of marriage um they're like a proper like English traditional family like they've got such a, a way of family as family and I, they're very proud of every single moment that you do um and I sort of get to experience that um and then obviously James has had his whole entire life in Coventry um and I've sort of come into that life and everything that was around him and is him have accepted me. And I've just been able to be a part of something different, you know, like that I, ne I never imagined I was going to be able to ever have, um, nor foreseen, to be honest. Um, and yeah, now I'm married. Um, I've got my current life and I've got a massive future. And if it, isn't an MMA I've still got a future there's not something that I've not got to not look forward to you know I have the, the chance of building a family I have the chance of earning a lot of money if I wish to um I have the chance of traveling if I want to but right now my journey is this and I have that 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 person behind me that's going to support me that or in any journey no matter what and I guess you kind of go from people uh, previous guests have talked about the fact that they're and like all of us we go from you know we, we join a team whether it be jiu-jitsu or may and suddenly those people become your support network and their their value to you is so high and actually kind of the the merger of both if you will um just adds to its significance for you yeah um lion's gym is at times been kryptonite um but it's just been the kryptonite that is caused because of so many positive highlights to being part of that you know um like you go in there and you have so many positive experiences the negative experiences just hits you so quickly like it, it, it's a horrible feeling but then you go in there and nobody has expectation of you other than yourself and they're just there to support you and build you up and make you the better person I mean I would not be the female MMA martial artist that I am that's it like speaking to you today if I didn't have Lions Gym behind me um so yeah again meeting James is cause that i mean lion's gym caused me to meet james but james is sort of the center of lion's gym and everything's kind of built around what he's created with the help of lion's gym if that makes sense and uh one last point on this because i think i am almost certain you are the f definitely the first mma fighter but probably the first guest completely that i've had 
um, whose partner also competes in the same sport as them. Um, what is it like for you? Do you enjoy watching James compete uh, in preparing to compete or stuff? Would you rather be in there yourself and go, I prefer it the other way around? Um, I enjoy watching fight. <laughs> I generally do. Um, I mean, if you YouTube his last fight uh, against Wilson, it was an intense fight. Um, but I don't have that typical like, oh my God, sort of feeling. Yeah. But I enjoy the sport for what it is, which is it's it's dirty, grimy, like intense, like nasty, brutal element. Um, because at the end of the day, it is an art. Um, and you've learned many processes in order to be that artist in that cage. Um, obviously, if I'm not fighting, I do get a little bit of uh, cage envy. Uh, I, I, I love fighting um, myself, but at the same time, I like watching him. Um, I'm not the typical girlfriend, wife. I'm a wife. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I still can't get used to it still. It's been over a year and I still can't get used to it. Um, no, it hasn't been a year. It's been six months. Um, anyways, going back to my point, um, I don't like to be backstage because he goes into this complete different mindset that he has during training as well. Like you can't fuck with him. You can't play with him. You can't be that typical sort of relationship status in, in the back. And I don't want to be that. So I just leave him to do his thing. He's got his team. I'm not one of his main training partners because he's a heavy lump. Um, but generally I, I love that he has the same passion and, as different as my journey is to his in terms of let's say approaching the fight for a weight cut he enjoys the process oddly compared to I um he understands many elements so in that aspect it's it's really good um but he also pushes me he understands that I need to train when I don't want to train if I'm tired or a bit poorly because ultimately MMA and exercise is a is a big step towards people's sort of composure in life, um, especially for what I would say mine. I love exercising as much as I hate it. I love it. Um, so yeah, it's nice to have somebody that understands me. I think the most awkward thing is <laughs> a bit more personal, I guess you might say. Uh, everything becomes jujitsu or MMA, like hugs you start start passing the fucking guard and shit and arm dragging most stupidest thing in the world but everything everything embodies the art of martial arts in some way or form oh i can i can uh, <laughs> completely appreciate that how many times have you kind of you seen a a leg resting on your lap and gone i reckon i could i could put this in a <laughs> straight ankle i can heel hook this literally i get calf sliced or uh straight ankle locked on the sofa quite often or watch where your limbs are yeah the worst one is when he's planning and then he's like can i try something on you just for class just to see if it's gonna work and i'm like yeah and then i end up smashing my head on the tv unit because we don't have the space um so yeah in those in those moments you laugh at them but they're at the time they're annoying <laughs> Um, well, to go, to go on to your final point, you, you mentioned it just now, um, your, your, your father passing away, um, last, uh, two years ago now. And, um, 
you talk more about it in uh in a way of reflection and give it a, a point in which you it, it kind of led you to reflecting a lot about your life um and uh what you've achieved um i i guess kind of why 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 do you think it was it was that moment that allowed that reflection do you know what i i have the image in my head perfectly so i got a phone call from my brother my brother was like completely distraught um he hadn't told me what it was but instantly i knew what it was i had a tear in my eye but i didn't cry um i made my way to oxford um i still knew what it was but i hadn't been told uh my met my sister outside i hadn't cried at this point my sister looked at me she burst out in tears after already being in the scenario of knowing what's happened i still didn't cry i knew at this point it wasn't good uh we were sat down in a room uh and i explained like and again obviously i know what it is i know what's happened um and i'm sat next to the room that my dad's in like no longer with life um and i sound quite unemotional about it i I kind of chopped off from it i guess in a sense and i don't want it to be coming across like that because my dad was a great man like a very very great man and i loved him dearly and i miss him a lot but the reason i say it in such a way is people deal with their life situations daily in an abundance of reasons as to why their life might be affected on that day and how i saw it uh, my dad's passing was just another situation that's got to happen in life and if i got caught up and let it like really pull like hairs out of my head i'm not able to progress in life i'm just gonna take that moment's gonna be taken away from me and i, I can't bring those moments back if i go into depression or sadness or let's say grieving like why can't i grieve but live my life um and I guess it made me reflect on all of the scenarios that I've ever had in my life. Um, because at that point I'd realized I dealt with all of those scenarios in exactly the same way. Like, why aren't I the, 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 the crackhead of my local postcode, you know, why aren't I a, a convict of the justice system that's in and out of prison? living on universal credit why am i a married woman with a great family a huge potential with a massive career to come with so many beautiful like things around me and it's because my outlook to the negative scenarios is yes i could reflect on them and let them take away from my life but why not build on them and let it make me become a stronger more fierce more able-bodied person um and i guess that's why i looked at that moment 
and reflected in my whole entire life and thought, how have I managed to be where I am today? And it's because of just how I feel that I've handled scenarios similar to my dad's passing. Um, you, you use the term, um, and I, I think it 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 it, it summarises it very well, which is that you don't think you've ever used a get out of jail free card. Yeah. Because, because you didn't, you know, you didn't have one. Like what you, that, that, that kind of what grew out of, you know, necessity that you just had to go on. Otherwise, what else were you going to do? And the idea that actually, regardless now of, or actually things are more comfortable or life, you know, you, you have, like you say, these beautiful things around you that why, why do you need, you know, why would you fall back? Yeah, exactly. And I do, I do think that's the, the, the perfect way to summarize it. Like don't use an excuse to hold you back. Like if anything, let it drive you forward and, build from it don't use an excuse to almost be a a reason for people to feel sorry for you when truly you don't need that like let people's support support you to go further not to hold you back in that current situation um so yeah that yeah that all makes perfect sense and i think even even with such uh i guess stressful is maybe not the best way but the word that comes to mind uh, to, to summarize it circumstances having a essentially a method of dealing with things is sometimes the most both practical and theological that's the right word use uh, or thing to do I guess uh, as a final question to to end the interview, what is it you we've talked about kind of things in the past? What is it about the 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 future that most excites you? What is it that that you kind of that you look forward to most? Is it is it just opportunities or is there is it is it fights? What 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 is it that you kind of you look at and you go, I can't wait. Um. I'm going to answer it in a different way. So I'm going to start it with how I see myself finishing life. Um, An obese, wheelchair-bound, fat person, enjoying life with all of the foods. Um, (laughs) A grandma, a a mum, a wife, an accomplished and established athlete, retired. Um, A champion of not necessarily the biggest promotion in the world, but a champion of the people's eye. Uh, I want to be a light athlete um, and I don't want it to be forced. I want it to be a natural sort of liked. I want to be a people's person, the the person that people want to want to like and want to win. Um, I want to retire knowing that I did well and I worked hard for everything that I had and got. Um, 
I want to go through hardship in the career um, and come out of hardship. And I want that to help me to build me into a stronger athlete and get the things that I feel I'll be most deserving at that point. Um, and in the more shorter term, like, get me a fight and let me show you the athlete that I am in my gym day in and day out when I'm not hungry. Well, uh, thank you so much for, for sharing uh, a bit more about yourself because that's what, what it's all about here is for people to learn more about you than just the, the, the bit that's in the cage. So thank you so much for coming on. No worries. Thank you for inviting me into such a, a, a joyful podcast. I really enjoy talking um, about different aspects. It, it was nice to not be like, so how do you feel Mafalda is going to take you on at this point of this fight? Um, so I appreciate that. We can all talk about fights in air. We talk about every day in the gym, right? Exactly. Uh, that, and I think that this is how people get to know you better as things like this. So thank you once again. No, I appreciate it. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. To keep up to date with all our latest stuff, follow us at The Prodigy Podcast on Instagram.